Hello and welcome to Doc to Me. My name is Heather. And I'm Kathleen. And this week I am super excited. It's something I know I've been wanting to cover, but I felt like we needed to at least wait until the subject of this week finished up in court. <laughs> <laughs> Which has been a long time coming. Yeah, I'm sure you can figure it out. We're covering the jinx. The Jinx, The Life and Deaths Deaths of Robert Durst is a 2015, that seems... Yeah, I, I feel like it was just yesterday. I know, yeah, 2015 HBO documentary miniseries about New York real estate heir Robert Durst. It was written by Andrew Jarecki, Mark Smerling, and Zach Stewart Pontier. Fancy. <laughs> That's a French name. Yeah, 2015. I did not think it was that long ago. I remember when my husband, like introduced the document series or whatever and he was like oh it's about this guy who's just like really unlucky and everyone around him dies and i'm just like and then we started that, watching it and i was yeah, like that, like, that is that not what happened happen. here no <laughs> it's like it's like that is not the premise of this documentary yeah i don't trust anybody who mysteriously had that's like women who are like on their eighth husband and five of them have mysteriously died and and yeah. no bitch you're the problem <laughs> where was that gun barrel city that woman yes <laughs> all the husbands yeah no no at some point when you are surrounded by bad luck you have to start wondering if maybe it's just you yeah she tried to pass it off as she's some little old lady and i was like mm, no i'm not buying <laughs> it so the series was series was directed by Jarecki, who had previously directed the feature fictional film all good things inspired by durst's biography he also, like, was it Capturing the Freedmans? I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Uh, it sounds familiar. Or it's like a dad and son, and then they get accused of, like, molesting kids, and it's rough. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want that to be one of the ones we cover. Um, no, I, I prefer to pass Anything on with the, kids, I just. I prefer to pass on the child molestation. Mm-hmm. Or so. even children deaths, any I can't. Yeah. That's why you're like, Dear Zachary, I'm like, I can't. That one is just so rough. Ugh, oh, yeah, no. That one makes me cry. <laughs> it's not even cry, it's Actually, sobbing. I've, just, I've only seen that one once and I just like I don't think I could ever see it again. It was amazing, it was a like powerful documentary, but I could never watch it again. It was one of those where I watched once and then like a couple years later I was like it couldn't have been that bad. Maybe I'm just misremembering. And it was, no, I sobbed again. Well, at least you saw it twice. I've only ever seen it once. <laughs> Why would I'm anybody still, voluntarily? I am still haunted by it. I am still haunted by it. <laughs> okay, yeah, we went right off topic. Durst had professed admiration for the film All Good Things and telephoned directly after its release, offering to be interviewed... This conversation was recorded and incorporated into the documentary. Just wild. Volunteered to do this. Hey, you made a documentary, or you made a movie about me and, like, my wife. (laughs) Would you like to talk to me? My lawyers had advised me against it, but let's talk. Not even his lawyers. Everybody advised him. Everyone advised him against it. So Durst sat with Jarecki for more than 20 hours over several years, despite having never previously cooperated with any journalists. And that would definitely be his downfall. 
it's definitely a poor choice. Yeah. Galveston, Texas, in September 2001, police are dispatched to a marina where a teenager discovered a torso. No limbs or head, just a torso. Which, fuck. <laughs> I imagine that teenager is still haunted by the images. Oh, and it's funny because when I did all this, it was the day after that small town murder episode where they talked about like 90% of bodies are only found by teenagers. <laughs> and then I watched this and it was like body discovered by a teenager. I mean, why do you think that I don't jog aside <laughs> from being really unfit? It's because I don't want to find any dead bodies. It's, well, and I'm the passenger in a car all the time and I'm constantly like, if I see a trash bag, like I'm immediately like, there's somebody in there. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> prime body dumping locations in texas (laughs) so this poor fucking cop the only way to reach the body i couldn't believe he said that to pull it out of the water was to literally put his hand down Down the the throat throat to pull it up and the guy's like he's like why would you he's like well the only way i could do is to get my hand in there (laughs) just like bro he just shoved his hand down the throat and then they noticed black trash bags floating in the water take note if you find any bag floating in the water or on the beach don't open it no just immediately call the cops i'd rather look stupid and it be a bag of trash than to open the bag myself and And there's just a body in there yes that's the worst i don't want to see a bloated body the creepiest bag they pull up is in the shape of a leg with just a toe sticking out i wonder what this could be just the shape seeing the shape of the leg is just so all the limbs and the head have been cut off except for one limb that was half cut off and then broken off it's just brutal the cop they're interviewing said it was the first dismembered body he's ever investigated which seemed a little shocking but he was like proud of it too he was like i've investigated a lot of weird things and had a lot of cases and blah blah blah. this is my first dismemberment yeah i guess i don't give murderers enough credit or i give them too much credit that this is the first one so everything has washed ashore except for the head which i would think that would be the worst thing to find as like a recovery diver just looking in murky water and then just a head there Uh, just like bobbing in the water Ugh. And they never find the head, which I don't even think it was in the water to begin with, as we get further along. Yeah, I was going to say. I don't think dismemberment is even, like, a really effective way to well, well, we, rid yourself of the body. There are better ways. So whoever did this crime threw the body parts in trash bags, some of which had trash still in them. <laughs> Including a newspaper with the address on it. Great place to start. Just literally the dumbest part of this whole thing. They don't even have the guy's head right now. And you're just like, here's the address. Yes. (laughs) So they go to the house to investigate. And right away, the police notice a blood trail from the house. This was a boarding house. So there are other people living there. He didn't even clean up after himself. There's other people living there. Nobody questioned, hey, why is there this blood trail? And they talk about, like, it's in this poor kind of area. But I'm like, didn't look that bad. I mean. That I wouldn't question. It's Galveston. So, yeah, these people are just walking out of their house, see a blood trail, and nobody questioned it. Or even washed it away. (laughs) 
which is usually what hey happens. Hey, man, I didn't make the mess. I'm not cleaning the mess, okay? <laughs> so they contact the owner of the house who tells them that he had a tenant named Morris Black and another tenant named Dorothy Siner, who is a mute old lady. I love old women named Dorothy. I just old lady names are like amazing like opal and gertrude and martha oh, like no, no. dorothy's my de- definitely she's also my favorite golden girl well yes so. <laughs> she's so sassy i wish old lady names would come back shady pines mom <laughs> so they get a fingerprint from the body and discover it belongs to morris black Surprise! they find more evidence of a blood trail leading to apartment two they get a search warrant, and when they walk in, they notice drop cloths on the kitchen floor. And they're not painting. It's a little weird. Which is very curious, because what kind of old person leaves extra stuff on the floor to trip over? So they lift the drop cloths up, and there's cuts all over the linoleum flooring. God damn, he is not getting his deposit back. <laughs> like what you would get if you chopped up a body. They cut up a section of the linoleum and find a blood stain that they are able to match to Morris Black. So, fairly quick work figuring out who the body belongs to. Oh, yeah. It was like instant. Don't even need a head. Yeah. So, the apartment they find all this evidence in belongs to old lady Dorothy, and the detectives find it curious that she lives in this poorly furnished dump, and yet the landlord said she's gone all the time traveling. So you have money to travel, but not enough to rent a nicer place? And, like, the furnishings in it. Like, they did not fit an old lady. Lack of furnishings. Yeah. It was, like, <laughs> it was like some kind of, like, hobo living lifestyle. Yeah. Or, like, your first apartment when you're out on your own. Yeah. They're just missing the pizza boxes everywhere. <laughs> Milk crates. To sit on. <laughs> <laughs> the inflatable couches. <laughs> your ass cheeks always stuck to you. Oh, God, I miss those. So the court questioning of the landlord is amazing. Was Miss Siner attractive? She looked like a middle-aged woman with a flat bust, not my type. <laughs> At least he admits that. <laughs> it's like, my man, just checking her out. A lady is a lady, okay? <laughs> so Dorothy Siner is an ugly-ass, flat-chested bitch who has a brother-in-law who stops by quite often... So, obvious red flags are raised in this. They go through the trash can and show some of the stuff they found. A lot of Metamucil packets. (laughs) (laughs) I like how they had it all lined out. (laughs) Really trying to stay regular. It was a lot. But also in this trash, they find a receipt for eyeglasses purchased by Robert Durst. They visit the eye clinic who tells them that Robert Durst has glasses here that he hasn't picked up yet, but we'll get in contact with you if he shows up. And this is early 2000s, so the cop doesn't even have a cell phone. It's bonkers that only 20 years ago, if you needed quickly get in contact with someone, you had to hope and pray they had a beeper you could page. Ah, uh, yes, the good old days. They also find a receipt for a hardware store where a drop cloth, a paring knife, and a bow saw was bought, which that's rough. I feel like a bow saw wouldn't be strong enough. I know, because it looks kind of thin. It re- yeah, it looks really, like, weak. Like, a weak-ass saw to choose to, like, saw through bone. I just, I don't know. Maybe that's what do we know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm obviously not an expert on sawing up bodies. So the eye clinic pages and says the dude picked up his glasses, so the cops race over there and detain him. 
And the motherfucker had the bow saw in the back of his SUV. Yeah, like he didn't even get. And also ripped. a tennis racket. <laughs> hey man, <laughs> rich people gotta play tennis when they have a chance. So how do you get rid of this body, but you don't think to at least get rid of the saw you used to cut it up? So October 9th, 2001, he's arrested and his bond is set at $250,000. A little quick search on the interwebs would have told you this guy is loaded and $250,000 is no problem for him. No, he was literally just like... He's out within 24 hours. Yeah, he was like, what's my bond? Okay, cool. Yeah. And everyone's just like... But we're introduced to his wife through depositions they show. His marriage to Deborah Cheriton is really odd. We'll get into that later, though. I just wanted to mention her now. Because she sent the bond. Yeah. He has a court appearance on October 16th for arraignment, and he doesn't show up. So they issue a warrant for his arrest for bail jumping. Someone who has $250,000 might have more means to just leave. The cops in Texas have no idea who he is until news reporters from New York call. Robert Durst's paternal grandfather, Joseph Durst, a penniless immigrant tailor from Austria-Hungary, eventually became a very successful real estate manager and developer, founding the Durst Organization in 1915. His father, Seymour, became head of the family business in 1974 upon Joseph's death, and then his younger brother, Douglas, took over the Durst Organization in 1992 upon his father's retirement. So, multi-generational wealth. Yeah, just like a fucking loads of rich dudes. He has a history of using aliases and dressing as women, even though everybody says he's hideous. (laughs) (laughs) We can't all be lookers. And then they discover that Robert went to high school with a girl named Dorothy Siner. That poor woman. She's like, I How did. hard is it to make up a name? Yeah. They always pick like somebody from their past or something. And then it gets them caught. Yeah. She's like, I did not rent a shithole in Galveston. <laughs> and he doesn't stay hidden for long because on November 30th, he's arrested in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania for shoplifting Band-Aids, a newspaper, and a chicken sandwich from a Wegmans supermarket fucking dumb thing ever (laughs) and i remember seeing pictures of his arrest yes i just was like why is this dude bald (laughs) (laughs) worst disguise ever the worst part is he has 500 dollars in cash in his pocket seriously just mind-blowing that you are on On the the run yeah Yeah. and you're like i'm gonna go ahead and steal this sandwich it was like a six dollar sandwich Sir, like the cops search his rental car and find thirty-seven thousand dollars in cash. He could have bought so many sandwiches. Two loaded guns. A little weird. <laughs> Marijuana, which mm-hmm. eh, whatever. And Morris Black's driver's license. Okay, that's suspicious. <laughs> and he looks creepy as fuck. Yeah, the like creepier than usual because he's completely shaved his head, like razor shaved. Even his eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> when the interviewer's like, did you shave your eyebrows on purpose or something like that? And he's like, well, nobody shaves their eyebrows on accident. All I could think of is that Always Sunny episode where they're trying to avoid getting the flu and Frank goes crazy, like shaves his body, covers himself in hand sanitizer. <laughs> I just makes me feel like, I remember when like, I worked in the mall and some guy like, 
came down and like invited this naive girl that I worked with to like come hang out in his like motel or her hotel room or whatever. It doesn't and matter either way. Either way. <laughs> and like he didn't have any hair or eyebrows. And my first thought was, he's trying to kill you without mm-hmm. leaving any evidence. Like, do not go. And she said, but he said that he could buy me a laptop. And I was <laughs> Please do not go. I do not want to have to tell your parents that. How stupid you yeah. were. <laughs> like, so. so Robert Durst is just a creepy looking dude anyway. And all I can think of is from Jaws. Like, he's got lifeless eyes, black eyes. <laughs> Like a doll's eyes. <laughs> like, I don't know when you got into true crime, but I, I was already in when he was arrested. Oh, no. So I, it was like, fascinating following like, this. Oh, yeah. No, my dad was into it. So I've been into it far longer than I should have been. Never really scared of <laughs> monsters. I was scared of the creepy people out in the world. <laughs> yes. So eventually he's extradited back to Texas to face the Morris Black trial. He's 58 at this point and doesn't look like it. Like, even now he looks 20 years older than his actual age. I mean, when you live as hard as he is, I mean, you're going to look, <laughs> you know, I don't know. Murder ages you, okay? Yes. <laughs> had some bad luck okay and all that bad luck has just rubbed off it's really stressed him out and you know so throughout all of this we're getting hints about his missing wife kathy who we'll cover later but there's already suspicion surrounding this guy for other crimes and there are a lot of clips and interviews with janine pirro which speaking of crazy i loved watching her show back in the day like judge pirro Oh, yeah. It was, like, during the court. Uh, now she's, like, on Fox News, and oh, it's gone downhill. Back in the day downhill. where you stay home from school sick, and, like, oh, there'd this be, was like... When my oldest was a baby, and I stayed home with him that first year, so I oh, would just yeah. watch judge shows all day. Was it really? That and then, don't forget it? the lyrics. I was so good at that show. <laughs> what was that game? It was, like, an app. Where you could like guess the song based on like the first oh god oh it kind of reminds me of a show it was like in the 70s where it was like you would bet on who could get it in so a few notes they'd oh. be like i could get it in one note and people would do it and it was amazing that's incredible <laughs> i want that talent so robert's got money 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 he hires two big name defense attorneys because he couldn't decide between which one to go with wish I had that problem. Which is bonkers. I can't decide between the two of these things. I'm going to pick both. Also, did you notice the way Robert Durst drinks water? <laughs> it offended me. He lifts his upper lip so his teeth are exposed. So it just looks like he's growling, but he's drinking water. It, I hated it. It was so it was, bizarre. It was highly offensive. If I, I saw anybody do that, I'm like, they murdered somebody. <laughs> There's something wrong with that it's, man. Yeah. So let's learn a little more about his past and how he grew up. Robert Allen Durst was born April 12, 1943 in New York City to Seymour and Bernice. Bernice is a good name. I love the name Seymour because I always think of Seymour Butts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good old Simpsons. His siblings are Douglas, Tommy, and Wendy. And he and Douglas fucking hate each other. Dude, hardcore. Like, they legitimately had to have, like, sibling rivalry counsel. Yes. Which... 
I should look into for my kid. <laughs> his mother passed away when he was seven, and even that has complications. Yeah, like his <laughs> story of that is just bizarre. She died as a result of a fall from the roof of the family's home. Robert claimed that moments before her death, his father walked him into a window from which he could see her standing on the roof. Douglas disputes this and says all the kids were at a neighbor's house at the time of her death. <laughs> and Robert's just saying this to get sympathy. Yeah. So it was who knows? Weird. It, it, they were showing it. It was like nighttime. And she's up yeah. on the roof. And then they said she died in a, it was like an accident. Like she fell. The media. Like, Why was she on the roof in her nightgown? The media reports that she slipped off the roof, but it's in the evening. She's in her nightgown. Obviously, it's a suicide. Like, yeah, I mean, they're a rich family. They want to cover it up. And it's super his, father never remarried after this which i found kind of weird as children robert and douglas underwent counseling for sibling sibling rivalry which didn't know was a thing so they hated each other for decades yeah, yeah. i can see why <laughs> in the fall of 1971 robert met his wife kathy mccormick she was working in New York City, and Robert was for visiting from Vermont, where he had opened a small health food store. Called All Good Things. <laughs> I'm wondering if he was there originally to visit his mother's grave, because she died in early November, and it was about that time. January, that January 1972, Kathy leaves New York to come live with him in Vermont. She's like super early into their relationship. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm not judging i'm just like because they met in the fall of 71 and then january she's moving with them yeah he opened his health food store because he didn't want anything to do with his dad or the real estate business and yet he sells the store in 1973 to move back to new york city to work with his dad yeah it was a little weird how he didn't like the family but then i don't know he's just a weird guy i guess with that much money it can be I could be motivated to do almost anything. <laughs> this section of the interview with Robert is really eye-opening. So Kathy's mother is talking about how she was trying to welcome into the family and talk to him and so on. But he just sees it as she's just trying to make me like her. And I hate spending time with this family. Yeah, it was. I felt bad. Like her family seemed really nice and normal. And he was just like. He thinks everybody's out to get him at any time. Yeah. It's like, he's just no, like, we're I, the normal ones. Like, she wanted me to play nice. Why would you not play nice with her family? <laughs> like, what is going on here? He's very confusing. He resents his family with the money and resents Kathy's family because they're too friendly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They're, nothing, too, they're too nice and normal, goddammit. Yeah, nothing would not make this guy happy. Enough. I hate my family for being snobby and rich, but I'm not going to sink down to the level of making small talk with this down-to-earth family. And her family seems really sweet. They really do. Her mother was adorable. Mm -hmm. So the couple returned to Manhattan, where they married April 12th, 1973. Robert's 30th birthday. I thought that was weird they got married on his birthday. Probably so he didn't forget the anniversary. <laughs> and it is not a happy marriage. He is very controlling. At the time of her disappearance, she does disappear, Kathy was a student in her fourth and final year of studying to be a pediatrician. Aww. She was only a few months short of earning her degree. The evening of January 31st, 1982, she appeared unexpectedly at a dinner party thrown by her friend, Gilberta. 
That she was, was? Yeah, yeah, she wasn't invited to. It was just out of nowhere. Gilberta Najami in Newton, Newt, not Newton, Newtown, Connecticut. Gilberta noticed that McCormick was upset and was wearing red sweatpants, which seems really odd because all the pictures of her, she's dressed super nice. After dealing with several calls to Robert, she drove home to their house in South Salem, New York. So Robert maintains that she showed up at the house and it was obviously that she, obvious that she had been drinking, but she wasn't drunk. The fuck does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> they ate a sandwich and he drove her to the Katona Con- 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 train station where she got on a train. He drove her to the train station because she was too drunk to drive when earlier he said she, wasn't, she drunk. wasn't drunk yeah and they had a whole fight about like her taking the car or whatever and he was like no, stories are very take- inconsistent yeah he, yeah he was all over the place and like she's too drunk to drive but like you put her on a train to travel by herself to new york and then like mm-hmm. travel from the train there like what the fuck man yeah he's fine with his wife just going <laughs> to yeah. new york city by herself like, that's not something me most people are okay with uh, he then says he went home, had a drink with a neighbor, and spoke to Kathy at their Manhattan, Manhattan apartment by telephone later that evening. He said he called from a payphone while he was walking the dog. He has several stories. Yeah, this I is know. the first one. But the payphone with the dog one is the weirdest, because why the fuck are you going to, like, stop while walking a dog? Like, and where do you find a payphone at, like, in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. Just like, hey, I should call my wife. This, like, this first story is he calls her from their house. Although he later admits that to the police that he just went home and went to bed because, yeah, the neighbor says the drink never happened. (laughs) He just thought that saying that he had done that would have looked better to the police, even though lying is way more suspicious. Yeah. It's weird how telling the truth is not as crazy as being like i did something i didn't do also if you're gonna lie don't involve other people who have no idea what's going on yeah like dude you gotta get somebody in on your alibi (laughs) if you're gonna use them as an alibi the next day a monday kathy supposedly called in sick to school later that day she was supposed to meet gilberta at a pub called the lion's gate in manhattan when kathy failed to show up gilberta became concerned and called the police for several days Later that week, Robert files a missing person report as well. Yeah, it's kind of weird how he didn't notice his wife was missing all week. The cops at first aren't that concerned. She's in a shitty marriage, so it makes sense that she might have just taken off. But I can't imagine her not getting into contact with a friend or at the very least her family. They yeah, seem very close. Yeah, people you tend to lean on for support. Both a doorman and the building superintendent at the couple's apartment on Riverside Drive claim to have seen McCormick there on February 1st, the day after she was last seen, but the doorman also said that he had only seen her from behind and from half a block away and couldn't be certain that it was her. (laughs) So probably not at all. Yeah. He later tells a private investigator that he didn't see her arrive at all and may not even have been working the night she disappeared. Not to Only. mention the fact that, you know, a certain someone has an affinity for dressing up as a woman. <laughs> Only three weeks after Robert reported Kathy missing, the superintendent at the Riverside Drive apartment found her possessions in the building's trash compactor. 
And when Kathy's friends and her sister found out she was missing, they broke into the cottage home hoping to find her and instead found the place trashed and with mail unopened. Three weeks before Kathy disappeared, she had been treated at a Bronx hospital for facial bruises. She told a friend that Robert beat her, but she didn't want to press charges. Kathy asked Robert for a $250,000 divorce settlement, and instead, Robert canceled her credit card, removed her name from a joint bank account, and refused to pay her medical school tuition. Which, I mean, would have gotten off so light with the divorce. (laughs) Yeah, that seems aggressive. The weirdest part is at the time of the disappearance, Robert had been dating Mia Farrow's sister, Prudence Farrow, for three years. Robert initially offered $100,000 for Kathy's return, then reduced the award to $15,000. <laughs> Which is just an insult. Classy guy. <laughs> like, you could have kept the, like, high reward amount. Like, you didn't, you knew that she wasn't coming back. Yeah, so like, who cares? look better. <laughs> God. We had dating Mia Farrow's sister. <laughs> that was weird. And it has to be so frustrating for her friends and family. The cops are just buying Robert saying, oh, the marriage was fine. Just normal arguments. I read that they weren't even living together. Well, he's beating her. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, the fact that she went to a hospital for injuries like, yeah. tells me all I need to know. That, like, clearly. So the know. cops just assume she left and she's shacking up with somebody else. They don't even check the house for any evidence. Sounds about right. That was the 80s, too. It's not like it was super far long ago. It's just crazy that the friends are having to do the police work, going to the train station, asking if anyone's seen her, going to hospitals, check to make sure she's not there, going through through trash trash. to find evidence. Literally, like, they were going on little, like, stakeouts to, like, root through this man's garbage. These women are amazing. Yes, I just want to say that, like, I hope that I have that kind of squad. (laughs) That would just be like, we're going to solve this fucking mystery. Yeah. So even her family's trying to get in contact with Robert's family, and they're shut out, which I I don't understand that. If my kid's spouse goes missing, I'm going to be all over his ass. Like, where the fuck is she? Yeah, like, what happened? Let's go through this. Like, Yeah. If they could be involved with the disappearance of someone they supposedly love, what's going to stop them from going after me? I just, that's terrifying. That you're just fine with your son doing something like that. Money will buy you a lot of things. And then we couldn't hate this guy more. He talks about how Kathy had gotten pregnant, and he really treats it as it was her fault and her problem. Yeah. He doesn't want kids, and she knew that, so she needs to take care of it or get a divorce. What the fuck? Yeah. He's like, I made her take care of it. And he says he didn't want kids because he felt like a jinx whatever that means but he said the name of the documentary he asked if he remembers the first time he hit her and he says no he's hit her so many times he doesn't even remember the first time which is like jesus christ like if you ask my husband that like never yeah. never hit me because that's a normal thing to never be hit by your spouse yes. like <laughs> he's just like oh it's been so many times i, sh- I can't even keep track like i don't, I don't which know. hand which yeah. cheek <laughs> Eight years later, Robert divorces her, claiming spousal abandonment, which is a piece of shit. And the case goes cold, which is so infuriating. 
Yeah, I mean, for her friends and her family who just have knew no all answers. along, and he's just out there enjoying life, stealing sandwiches. <laughs> and Band-Aids. Like, how do you not... He had a boo-boo, okay? You could ask anybody if they have a Band-Aid. Like, <laughs> we'll find a mom and ask her if she has a Band-Aid in her she purse. Guaranteed she's got a Band-Aid. She'd be like, you need some ointment? I feel like I've only bought, like, one box of Band-Aids in my life. They just, <laughs> they are kind of like bobby pins. They just mm-hmm. kind of like appear and disappear randomly yeah. throughout life. Like there's like a wormhole that they just go in. Because you know you use them, but yet anytime you need one, you go look and there's always still another one in there. Yeah, just band-aids everywhere. <laughs> Episode three, we get into Susan Berman and her relationship with Robert. So 18 years later, based on a tip, the cops finally searched the house for evidence Unfortunately, he sold the house in 1990, so this poor woman who owns it now, I can't imagine living in my house for a decade, and then the cops come to the door and like... We think there may have been a murder here. (laughs) I'm glad my house was brand new. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have a basement, so there are no bodies under it. I can't say anything about the construction people, but I would hope (laughs) there's no body here. They don't find anything, which... Not shocking, because he lived in the house for years after she went missing. So they talk to Kathy's friends who tell the police they need to get in contact with Susan Berman. Susan Jane Berman was born May 18, 1945, and was the daughter of Davy Berman, who was a Jewish-American mobster, which didn't know they had Jewish mobsters. I feel like you can, there's, yeah, I feel like I'm familiar with this. (laughs) What was it, um... Oh, man. My, I've, like, spaced all day on, like, different shows. The one, was it um, Fargo? No? Was it Fargo? I don't know. Yeah. The one where there was, like, the different mobs and yeah. gangs or whatever. And, they and it were, was like, a guy from Dazed and Confused. Yeah, and they were, like, tra- <laughs> they were, like trading their kids or whatever. Like, I feel like, wasn't that guy, like, a Jewish mobster or something? I feel I like he's he Jewish was. in real life, so I just assume <laughs> the yeah. character. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm just being... She later wrote about her life as the daughter of a mobster, which I felt like... That was weird, because she She made it her entire personality. No, that's what I was going to say. It's like, she basically created her entire life around this idea of, like, being the daughter of a mobster, but she didn't even realize that her dad was a mobster. No. It wasn't like she, like, knew growing up that she was the child of a mobster. It was like after he was dead is when somebody told her. Yeah, she had no idea throughout her entire childhood with him, growing up, all of this, and then suddenly she's just like, oh, shit, my dad's a mobster? All right, I'm gonna write a book. Yeah. She received a Bachelor of Arts degree in 1967 from UCLA, where she met Robert Durst, so she's been friends with him for decades. She was the one who kind of kept him away from the press after Kathy's disappearance, so anything coming from the press was from her. Oh, and she was most likely the one who called the medical school, pretending to be Kathy, calling out sick. Yeah. (laughs) Don't do that shit for your friends. No. So she's at least somewhat involved with the cover-up. So he was also giving her money. Yeah. So because of the things they've learned after reopening the investigation, the cops decide to try and get in contact with Susan. Except on December 24, 2000, Berman was found murdered execution style in her home in Benedict Canyon, Los Angeles, California, after her neighbors called the police to report that her back door was open and her three fox terriers were loose. So now there's three All deaths the tied. Oh, God, yes. 
That's like right up there with like your child. Oh God! Why do you have to say the most depressing stuff? I always, dude. I remember like seeing Dexter after having given birth, and I was just like, that. Oh God, that scene with, uh, you know, my mind is just like blank tonight. But I'm telling you, like, I remember the whole like baby in the blood Mm -hmm. puddle, and I was just like, oh my God, I've just had a baby. There's no signs of forced entry, and she had some serious locks on that front door. She lived in a pretty rough area. Yeah. So nothing's disturbed, and if it had been a stranger, I can't imagine the dogs would have been okay. Because those are some yappy dogs. Yeah. So it's really weird. Cops were told to talk to her for evidence, and another woman disappearance death, and she ends up dead. And Robert is just flabbergasted by this. Yeah, he's like, you know, she wrote a lot about, like, the mobsters or whatever. Just like, uh... Yeah, years think, before. Yeah, I don't think that she had any insight into that no. that was, like, worthy of a, a hit. They're not going to wait, like, I think it was, like, decades after she wrote yeah, the book yeah. to, like, now come after it's her. like, 20 years later, after all this information has come to light, like, you've said something and you deserve to die. <laughs> I don't think so. But because her dad had dealings with the mob and she wrote about the mob, the LAPD doesn't even suspect Robert Durst. It's obviously the mob. Soon after, the police receive a letter directed to the Beverly Hills Police, spelled B-E-V-E-R-L-E-Y, not L-Y, with the note listing Susan's address and the word cadaver. Which is so weird! And was postmarked the day before her body was discovered. So why would the mob even want the body to be found? Who mails a letter about a dead body? Like Obviously that, somebody who wants the body to be found. Nobody does that. Like, you have someone deliver it, you like... Anonymous it, call. Yeah, phone call, like anything. But postmarking and like sending it in the, like having the postal service actually deliver it. You know, first of all, it's going to take days. <laughs> What if it got lost in the mail? Because that shit happens, like, yeah. every day. Just ridiculous. So she owed a lot of money to different people and was several months behind on rent. They showed photos from her home, and there's there's no furniture there. It's She was living rough. Yeah, she was definitely getting by on scraps. All her friends and family find it really suspicious that her best pal Robert doesn't show up to her funeral. And it's not like they had fallen out of touch over the years. He had recently given her $50,000. Which I've never done to anybody that yeah, I love. Yeah, you don't so. give that kind of money to someone you haven't talked to in years. And then, of course, less than a year later, Robert is arrested for the murder of Morris Black. And then by that point, he's suspected in Susan's death. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how when you have that many murders... It kind of reminds me of the um, John Christie case. Like, when... Um, I don't remember that one. It's the, it was the guy who was executed for murdering his wife and the their baby or whatever. And um, he was like, no, it was like the guy who I lived in like the boarding house with or whatever. He offered to give her an abortion, blah, blah, blah. He was executed. And then years later, John Christie's wife goes missing or is found murdered. And then they find all these like hookers and stuff in his... Um, walls of his apartment or whatever and yeah it turns out he had murdered a whole shit ton of people (laughs) 
And they're just like, what are the chances that two murderers are living in the same building? Yeah. Like, pretty slim. Don't think that's what happened. Pretty sure this guy murdered the other guy's wife and he just, you know, suffered the consequences. Like, it's just, it's not something that happens. Like, you don't... It's like the I-5 killer. I hate saying having, like, a favorite serial killer, but his is, like, the most fascinating. He had been drafted by the Packers, and then he went on to murder, like, a ton of women. But he would murder strangers, and then also all these women that had been friends with him and stuff somehow ended up dead in their apartments. And it was like... Yeah, you just... You can't murder people you know. That's like rule number one. Yeah, like you don't kill anyone that you know. Nobody that can be traced back to you. Like what? I just I don't understand how that doesn't yeah. cross your mind that you can't be you like. You have a wife that's missing. People. Your friend's dead who might have helped with the cover up of your missing wife. And then a guy who's like your next door neighbor. <laughs> like It's really stupid. I don't know anyone that's been murdered. I do, but it was a great-grandfather, like, in the 60s. <laughs> so just, I technically didn't know like, them. Like there, There's no amount of bad luck that gets you that many dead people mm. around you like that. Like, maybe if you live in, like, a really, really, really rough area, maybe. I mean, maybe I will give you like, two separate people. Yes, but not people that knew each other. Not, like, more than one spouse. <laughs> More than one Maybe spouse. a spouse and a friend or a family member, but it's got to be anything more than that. And I'm going to be very suspicious. Honestly, I, even two, I'm still going to be like, that's weird. But if there's more than two, you're guilty. Yeah, Nobody has more than two dead spouses. <laughs> two dead any murdered people. Like, that's insane. Or like mysterious, just out of nowhere deaths. Like... I'm immediately thinking you poisoned them. Well, that's like the, like, um, moms or, well, there was one where it was a dad. Multiple dead children. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Like, that's insane. Maybe, like, 1800s. But (laughs) when you have five dead kids from SIDS, there's an issue. Yeah, and it's not SIDS. No. Jesus. So many cases of that. (laughs) So we'll get into the Morse Black trial and all the other shenanigans next week. There's lots of shenanigans. <laughs> this guy's fucking bonkers. It. I feel like that. Like it could have gone on forever. Just yeah. There's like so much. Just. Oh it's God. insane that it took as long as it did. Oh yeah, and that the idea that these like directors like cracked the case wide open. <sighs> I, I don't even want to get into them. Yeah. <laughs> Because even towards the end, they're still like, well, I don't know. <laughs> like, dude, He's come just on. really unlucky. He's just weird and unlucky. No one is that unlucky. <laughs> no one. While you're filming him doing shit that is suspicious. Fucking crazy. Oh, my God. I don't know how this guy hasn't been, like, scammed out of money. He's just too trusting of people. I'll give you $50,000 to think I'm innocent. <laughs> you give me $50,000, I'll shut my mouth forever. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. I would definitely... <laughs> you I give would... me $5,000, I'll shut up. Honestly, $500. $500, mm. I would be bought. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I'd buy for $50, but we'll see. 
50 is just no give me more credit than that yeah i mean that's like a tank of gas i mean that's not much <laughs> 55 now we're talking, <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> so don't forget to join us next week oh yeah it's gonna be it gets crazier somehow which is a lot saying <laughs> like shave your eyebrows crazy. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not that crazy no Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Doc to Me. The opening music is by Twisterium. For comments or suggestions, we can be reached by email at doctomepod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at doctomepod and find our Facebook group, Doc to Me Podcasts. Thank you.